Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, that'll be our text this morning. How many of you are in the Christmas spirit? Humbug, right? <laughs> we are starting this morning our new Christmas series. We're going to take three weeks and uh, look at a series. I'm trying to remember what the title is. Oh yeah, A Not-So-Silent Night. The reason why we're, we're approaching it this way is because often when we think about the Christmas story, we think about all is calm and all is bright, but it really wasn't. It was anything but all is calm and all is bright. That's actually good news for you and me because life is rarely all is calm and all is bright. And so I find this to be so encouraging as we look at what was going on and that first Christmas, to be encouraging for our lives and dealing with the very same things that often we are dealing with today. And so we're going to begin this series by looking here at Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1, and we're going to begin at verse 18 and read down uh, through verse 25. So if you're able to stand, uh, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together, to sing songs that glorify you, and now to come under the authority of your word. Lord, I ask that you would meet us here. I really believe that there are people in this room who need encouragement and the comfort that we find in this text. So would you do the work that only you can do to the glory of Jesus' name? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, my heart in my chest was just pounding and pounding and pounding. My, the palms in my hands were just full of sweat. And I was absolutely convinced I was going to jail. You see, your pastor, although I wasn't your pastor at the time, was trying to smuggle something back from Mexico. Some of you are like, I'm not surprised. Uh, It doesn't surprise me a bit. I was leading a mission team in Mexico, and at the end of the week, at the end of the mission trip, we decided to go to one of those kind of local souvenir markets, you know, where you buy the real quality stuff like the Velvet Elvis that everybody needs hanging on their wall, right? Uh, the fake sunglasses, the blankets, you know, one of those places. And as I was shopping, I came across a knife. 
Now, it wasn't some like sissy knife. I mean, it was like crocodile Dundee knife, you know. It was like a big dagger. And I saw that and I thought, man, that looks so awesome. I got to have it and, and I'll take it home because my newborn son would just love it, you know. <laughs> so I did. I got it and I, I paid for it. I, I took, put the knife and I put it in my backpack. I didn't think a thing about it till I was walking through airport security. Next thing I know, I'm in a room. <laughs> and a very nice, polite, gentle, and I hope you sense the sarcasm because I'm laying it on thick, TSA agent pulls me aside, <laughs> says, uh, buddy, I got to ask you a few questions. I'm like, oh, great. I am just as nervous as I can be. I thought, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail. I know I'm going to jail. He goes, I need you to tell me why you have this knife in your backpack. I told him all the details of my story. I thought that makes so much sense. He's going to understand. He's going to let me go. He looks at me and he says, so let me get this straight. You're the leader of a church group with a concealed weapon you bought for your newborn child. <laughs> I thought when you put it that way, you know, it's like, it's not that bad. Well, fortunately, they let me go. I didn't get to keep the knife. But in that moment, like, I cannot begin to tell you how afraid I was. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I, I feared for the worst. My, my life kind of flashed before my eyes. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm done. You know, pastor gets arrested in Mexico or whatever, you know. And I was so afraid, and the reason why I was so afraid is because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I bet every one of you in this room can relate to that. Not that exact situation, because you're smarter than I am, but you can relate to that feeling, that emotion of you're in a situation, you're in a time when you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. Life is very uncertain, and you become afraid. For some of you, it may be the difficult conversation you need to have with a friend. It may be the layoff that they did at work. It may be, will the chemo work? It may be a child leaving home for the first time, but I bet all of you can relate to an experience where you were afraid because you didn't know what the outcome of this situation would be. Friends, if you've ever experienced that in life, that is exactly the feeling and the emotion that Joseph has here in Matthew chapter 1. This guy is living his life, looking forward to raising a family, building his carpentry career, when all of a sudden his life takes a radical turn and he is what you and I would be afraid in fact, the angel of the Lord has to come to him in verse 20 and say, Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And yet Joseph here is faced with the question I'm convinced some of you right now are facing or will face at some point, and that is, will you let fear paralyze you or will you live by faith? In that moment when you don't know what's going to happen, will you be shut down by your fear, by being afraid, or will you look to God by faith? And what we learn from Joseph is what faith looks like as it overcomes our fears. 
And we don't often think about Joseph that way, do we? I mean, let's be honest. For most of us, Joseph is a nativity prop. He is nothing more than a name in the closing credits. We don't think of Joseph as a giant of the faith. He's not listed in Hebrews chapter 11. He's just not somebody we think about as being a man of faith. In fact, when we talk about Joseph, we're almost always on the defensive. We just want to emphasize what he did not do. Like it's a 1990s presidential scandal. We just want to make sure everybody knows Joseph did not have sexual relations with that woman. (laughs) That's all we talk about. It's like that's Joseph's story and we just leave it at that. And it's true. There's not a single strand of Joseph's DNA in the blood dripping from Calvary. But dear friends, it would do us well not just to know Joseph for what he didn't do, but to know Joseph for what he did. Because I think Joseph's life gets a lot closer to home than we realize. Notice This man's faith, a faith, first of all, that overcomes the fear of humiliation. In verse 19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Friends, Joseph is a just man. He's a devout Jew. He's a law-abiding citizen. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, it says that Joseph did, quote, everything according to the law of the Lord. He's the kind of guy whose pants are always pressed, taxes always filed, changes the oil in his camel every 3,000 miles. If he took his family to the Palestinian buffet, he makes sure every single person's paid for, no skimming off the top. He is a good, law-abiding citizen, and that creates a real problem. And the problem is, this wife that he's betrothed to is now disgraced. Verse 18, when his mother Mary, that is Jesus' mother, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But look here, Joseph didn't know from the Holy Spirit yet. All he knew is that this woman that I'm betrothed to is now pregnant. I didn't have anything to do with that. And we've talked about the betrothal period before. It was a one-year legal binding engagement. A couple did not have physical intimacy. They did not live together. They were all waiting for the, the, the consummation on the marriage night. It was a time to prove purity and faithfulness and loyalty. So serious was the betrothal period to get out of it, you had to issue a certificate of divorce. And not only that, and I know this is like crazy in our culture, but according to Deuteronomy, if you got pregnant during the betrothal period, you could be killed. So when Joseph hears... Mary's pregnant, his response is, whoo-hoo, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Let's go. No. He knows exactly what this means. He knows the law. 
He knows what the consequences will be for Mary. He knows people aren't stupid. Betrothed in January, baby in May. I'm no calculus teacher, but that doesn't add up. And so Joseph here is considering to just get rid of all this quietly because he's got two options before him. The first is take the easy road. Get rid of her. Graciously and quietly, but get rid of her nonetheless. And everybody will look at Joseph and say, you did the right thing. She got what she deserved. Hey, you shouldn't have to take the fall for what she did. And Joseph could have done that. It would have been easy and nobody would have said a thing about him. Or he can take the hard road. Identify yourself with a disgraced woman, an untimely child, and an impossible explanation. Knowing that it's only going to end in your total, ultimate humiliation. Everybody's going to think you're foolish for doing this. Joseph takes the hard road. Why? Because he appropriates his faith. Faith for Joseph was doing that that would not make his reputation look like much, but would be all about the glory of God. If Joseph wants to be a part of this story, and if you and I want to be a part of this story, we are going to have to accept the humiliation that comes with it. Amen? Amen. Suburbia, listen. Joseph could have lived a law-abiding, face-saving, reputation-building life but he would have missed Jesus. And I am convinced what is so true in my life, unfortunately, far too often, is that I want Jesus as long as it's comfortable. I want Jesus as long as it doesn't create any waves. I want Jesus as long as my family, my friends, my my co-workers, my boss thinks I'm normal. But Joseph has to learn here, if you're not willing to be humiliated for Christ, you're not ready to follow Christ. You're not ready to take in Christ. Because the gospel didn't come from Mayberry. The gospel came out of a Roman society that thought it was the most ridiculous thing they'd ever heard. It's why the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church at 1 Corinthians 1, that The message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Christian, what is it in your life that makes you look foolish? Because here, I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that my life doesn't look foolish enough. What is it in our life that people would look at us and say, that's really, really strange? And it's not because you and I are socially awkward. It's because we're living by faith. Could we just think about that? Could it be that we live a comfortable suburban life and Jesus really isn't at the center of it? That scares me. 
What is it in your life that looks different than the world because of your faith in God? Is it because you, you stuck with a husband that nobody else would have? And you didn't have to? Is it you, you, you served a family member in a way that none of your other family members were willing to serve them? Is it you forgave a situation that everybody else would have said that's unforgivable? You adopted a child of a different race. Some of you said yes to Jesus when everybody else in your family said no. What is it like Joseph that causes you to face the fear of humiliation, the fear of persecution, the fear of what other people will say about you and says, I don't care. I'm in this. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter was eating with Gentiles until the Jews showed up. And then all of a sudden, he wants to save face. And he, you know, I don't want to be seen eating with the Gentiles. And so he moves over to the Jews. Paul hears about this, and Paul rebukes him. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says that his conduct was not in line with the gospel. And he rebukes him for that. And do you know why his conduct was not in line with the gospel? For a variety of reasons, and it wasn't just the whole Jew and Gentile thing. It was back one chapter earlier in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. The apostle Paul says, if I were trying to please man, hear me, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's the point, friends. Here's the point. At the core of the gospel is that you have found approval with God. And if you have approval with God you no longer have to live for the approval of man. You tracking with me? Do you see this, this faith that says, I will take the humiliation, I will take the persecution because I believe. But notice also that Joseph's faith overcomes the fear of losing control. Look just, for instance, in verse 21. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, we read that often, and, and, and oftentimes we just skip right by it as to what it, what it really means in Joseph's culture. How many of you who've had children, like, had people come up to you and offer suggestions as to what you should name your children? I mean, they think they know better how you should name your child. I mean, we had strangers that would come up to us and do that. You know, yeah, I really like Benjamin Melchizedek or whatever, you know. It's just like some real biblical name. And we're like, no, no, thank you, you know. We have the right as parents to name our child, don't we? Even if it's ridiculous, right? Like some parents who, who name their child first name Chris, Middle initial P, last name Bacon. That's just an awesome name right there. Hi, I'm Crispy Bacon. Nice to meet you. Can I eat you? You know, uh, or what about this one? Uh, Tara Dactyl. Like, just think it through, parents. Or probably one of my favorites is this guy on TV, Bud Light. I'm afraid I'm related to him, you know. He's probably where I'm from. Or what about this one? Jed, middle initial I, last name Knight. Or, last one, this might be my favorite, Donald Duck, arrested for DUI. <laughs> Woo! 
I'm so glad Donald Duck is behind bars, all right? And while I'm talking about, like, names and, and naming children, can I just say for the record that naming girls is ten times harder than naming boys. Like, we knew Caleb, like, on the very first day. I'm not making this up. Our two girls, their names came down to the very last day. The day they were born is when they were named. They were this close to being called Thing One and Thing Two. <laughs> now, you may be saying, why are you making such a big deal about all this naming names? And again, it's because we don't often read this text in light of Joseph's culture. The name-giving authority belongs to the Father. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 2, we see Adam. What's he doing? He is naming the animals, and he names Eve. It was an authority, a responsibility given to the Father. So when the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and say, it says, and you will call his name Jesus, we need to realize that what the angel of the Lord is saying is, Joseph, you don't have any authority in this. You don't have any rights. You will call his name Jesus and there will be no negotiations. And what does Joseph do? Last phrase of verse 25. And he called his name Jesus. Why? Look here, friends. Faith is an act of surrender to what God has commanded you to do, not what you want to do. I heard a soft amen. It was like, amen. But I have rights, and I have authority, and I have what I want. But faith says, put it aside. God has a different plan for you. And Joseph surrenders. He gives up control, and he does what God has commanded him to do. And I'm convinced, don't like nudge your spouse, that one of the greatest hindrances to our faith is the fear of losing control. It's why you don't share the remote control. You don't like riding in the passenger seat when you're used to driving. It's why some of you don't go on roller coasters it's why some of you feel that sense of helplessness when a family member is Ill, Ill and you can't do anything about it. It's why some of you refuse to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because faith brings you to the end of yourself. To say, this isn't about me and my timing and my rights. This is about God's story in my life. I'm convinced that one of the greatest tensions and struggles in the life of faith, and just can we just be really honest about this Christianity thing? It's how the promises of God get translated into the realities of life. Let me say that again, I'll give you an example. How the promise of God gets translated into the reality of life. So for instance, God promised Abraham that he was going to give him a son, but Abraham was convinced it would come early in life. And he waited, 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 and then he took matters in his own hands and made it worse. He could have never imagined that it would come in the timing it did. 
God's timing seemed off. The promise of God was sure, but the way it was translated into life didn't make sense. Uh, Moses and the people of Israel, their promise, the promised land. Was 40 years of wandering in the wilderness really necessary? Couldn't we have just like been zapped there and boom, it's done? And I imagine Joseph, this devout Jew who, who would have known this story was coming, probably had no idea his name would be in there. And I think on that not-so-silent night, Joseph could have never imagined it would cost him this much. The promises of God don't always translate into life in the way we would want them to, which forces us, like Joseph, to say, I'm in, even if it goes against what I want to do. What is it that you're afraid of letting go of? Because remember, Joseph had to let it go to get Jesus. Here's the third fear that I think Joseph had, and that is he, his faith helped overcome the fear of the unknown. This is just and this is so encouraging to me. Look over in chapter 2 to verse 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and they departed for Egypt. Now, we travel on the time. We, we get on airplanes and don't think anything about going from this city to that city. Some of you have relocated jobs many different times. But don't think 21st century America. Think ancient Palestine. To get up and leave and go to Egypt meant leaving everything. Everything. His stability, his family, his job, his network. And not only that, God says, oh, and one other little detail, there's going to be a king who's going to chase you, and do you know what he wants to do to you if he finds you? Uh, kill you. Isn't the life of faith fun? I mean, am I the only one in the room that's just like, whoa, that's... That's amazing. Like Joseph went, having no idea what was going to happen, knowing that his life was on the line. I'm, I'm amazed that this average Joe, hillbilly from Galilee, poor day laborer, is willing to face humiliation. He, he's willing to give up rights. He's willing to go when he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And he's willing to do so because he believes one thing is true. God will show himself faithful. I don't need to know all the details. I don't need to have the map. I don't need to know how this story ends. I don't have to know what the future holds. I trust in God. And faith overcame a fear of not knowing what would happen. You see, Joseph could have quietly removed Mary. He could have stepped back and let Herod slaughter babies. He could have lived a quiet, predictable life. But his faith in God wouldn't let him. 
What is it about your future that scares you? There are some of you in this room, you have no idea how you're going to make ends meet. You don't know what your financial future will be. You know why I know that? Because I've talked to some of you. There are some of you in this room, you have absolutely no idea how your marriage is going to turn out. Your relational future is scary. I know because I've talked to some of you. There are some of you in this room who have recently lost loved ones and you have no idea what life is going to be like moving on. There are some of you in this room, you have no idea where you're going to spend eternity. And my question to every single one of you is, will you trust God with your future? Whatever it is. Will you trust God with your future? Because believing in the gospel is trusting that whatever it is you're facing comes to you from the hand of a loving father. Joseph believed that. And so regardless what the future would hold, he said, I'm in. Do you see? Man, this guy isn't a nativity prop. He's a man of courage who faces humiliation and gives up his rights and goes without guarantees because his faith drove him in his life. He wasn't paralyzed by those fears. And what was it that was at the core of that faith that allowed him to live with such courage, with such risk, that was so foolish, that was so weird? Look at verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel here actually quotes Isaiah chapter 7, when there was an evil king, King Ahaz, who was surrounded by his enemies. They wanted to kill him. God told King Ahaz to cry out for help, but he refused. God gave him a sign of victory. But it wasn't a chariot. It wasn't a weapon of mass destruction. It was the promise of a day where a virgin would give birth to a son. The son's name would be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And you look right here. That is exactly on that not-so-silent night what Joseph believed. Like, what, what changed from, I'll just get rid of her quietly. To the next thing I know, I'm in Egypt. What, what was the light switch? What was the light bulb? Like What shift happened in Joseph's life to do that? The belief that God in the person of Jesus Christ was with him. And he could face whatever fear he had because God was with him. Friends, the answer to whatever fear you're facing right now is the promise of Emmanuel, God is with you. Look at me. He won't forsake you. 
If you're His, He won't turn His back on you. Do you know why? He turned His back on His Son so that He wouldn't turn His back on you. He will be faithful. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Man, that doesn't mean everything gets rosy and, and easy. But it means that God won't abandon you in your fear. And, and it's like I'm, 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 I'm about to leap off this stage because I just so want to plant that in your life right now. Because some of you need it right now and some of you will need it tomorrow. God is with us. And I would submit to you, textually, that's the light bulb that came on in Joseph's life to go from, I think I want out of this, to I'm in this to the end. Because in the person of Jesus Christ, God's presence is with me. So why would I care what other people think? God's with me. Why would I care if I lose my authority and rights? God is with me. Why would I care if I don't know what the future is going to hold? God is with me. It's like what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What's Paul saying? If God is for you, who can be against you? And if God crucified his own son, do you not think he'll give you what you need? This is faith. It is not some little fairy tale Christmas story where all is calm and all is bright. It's the raw of life. When the only thing you can hold on to is the promise of God. And we leave with this thought. The answer to Joseph's fear was in the child he was called to father. That's the point. The answer to Joseph's fear was in the child he was called to father. You know why? Because, and I don't think Joseph would have had any idea of this on that night. Jesus would face all of Joseph's fears for him. You see, Jesus identified himself with a humiliating story. It just wasn't a disgraced woman, it was a sinful human race. And the story would end with his clothes being stripped, his beard being plucked, his entire life was mocked. King of the Jews. And he died on a criminal's cross. How's that for humiliation? And, and he gave up his authority. The Bible says he did not consider equality with God a thing to be taken advantage of. So he came in the form of a servant. Are you kidding me? God as a servant? How's that for giving up authority? And he faced the unknown 
The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. His followers were fickle at best. The religious leaders could not be trusted. And the very people he came to love and save killed him. How's that for living a predictable life? Do you see? Jesus faced our fears for us so that this morning you can know God is with us. And if God is with us, what are you afraid of? Let's pray. Father, I believe by faith that there is multiple people in this room who need this message this morning. They can relate to Joseph, not in a nativity scene, but in a person who is face to face with fear. It's a relationship, it's a financial situation, it's an eternity. And the word of Christ goes to them this morning believe. Believe in Emmanuel, believe in the faithfulness of God, God with us. And that belief doesn't make it easy. That belief doesn't make all the tears go away. But it sustains us all the way to Egypt and back. So give us that core in our life that is rooted in a faith as big as you are, O oh God. And may that express itself in a life that isn't seeking comfort, but is willing to take up a cross and follow Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.